Tune in weekly and listen to the Collateral Damage Podcast, where Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh host a variety of special guests to discuss topics and available services that will help you learn about the impact that substance use has on our lives, our families, and on our communities nationwide. Episodes and listening information can be found at www.cdpodcast.com. You can also search for Collateral Damage Podcast on your favorite listening platforms or watch previous and future episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and share. (laughs) All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collateral Damage. My name is Mike Wilson, and I'm here with my co-host, Maureen Cavanaugh. Hi, Maureen. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And today we have a special guest, returning special guest, Andrew McKenna, uh, author of Sheer Madness and a bank robber. We're going to hear all about that today as well. And um, I understand you've got some new stuff that you want to talk to our listeners about as well since the last time that we met. But thank you very much for joining us again, Andrew. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be on with you guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I got some um, some new developments, some new areas that I'm working in. And yeah, mm-hmm. looking forward to, to talking about them for sure. Well, I know last time we spoke, you were you were really kind of making the tour. I mean, your book got you out there, got you around, and you, you were starting to, um, you know, figure out where you fit into this uh, um, industry, you know, with, the, with, with substance use, abuse, and uh, addiction, and so on and so forth. So I know that you have found other ways to help people now, um, and that's the direction you're going in with your consulting. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, the, the treatment industry, the treatment field, as you know, you guys know, is constantly changing and evolving. Um, you know, I, my goal is just to kind of use my story. I don't know really what else I have. I can mm-hmm. bring my story to the table. Um, you know, addiction doesn't read resumes or backgrounds or any of that stuff. It, it applies to us all across the board. Right. So if I can get out there and get in front of people, which I, which I do, um, you know, bring a little bit of humor to it, but, but bring some seriousness to it. Um, and I guess, you know, we talked about it last time I was on the big move is to, to is to lower the stigma, having people ask for help. Right. Um, one of the things that I'm working on now, which is pretty cool. Um, and that I feel good about is working with people who've already gotten to the point in the system where they're looking at incarceration, Okay. you know, um, and it could be, um, you know, low level drug dealers. It could be, um, you know, users, addicted mm-hmm. people. Uh, but I'm finding now more and more is that I'm seeing people at the, like the, the C-suite level executives, um, you know, traders from wall street, uh, lawyers, doctors, and, their addictions um, in many cases are substance use, mm-hmm. but also, you know, there's money addictions, there's, there's excitement from winning, there's gambling, and it causes a lot of people at the high levels of different industries to engage in behaviors that are inconsistent with what you think their value systems would be. And mm-hmm. it's addiction, maybe just with a different face. Well, it's, uh, it's relief, it's release, it's escape, it's fun, it's exciting. It's the same thing that drugs have, but it's maybe a little bit more socially acceptable. Uh, you know, you can socially, go out and do it together. I encouraged think almost, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then, but add add this new sort of twist to it, competitiveness. Mm. You know, when you're talking about people who are, you know, on Wall Street or in the financial sector, they're only as good as their last trade. True. You know, now when I was you know, addicted to opioids, I wasn't competitive with anybody, you know, but these guys have that added 
pressure, guys and gals, of course, you know, gender neutral, added pressure. They have, you know, big bills, they have vacation homes, they have their kids in private schools, and they're competing with the, with the neighbors, you know? Right. When, you know, you're in the depths of a substance use disorder, typically that competitiveness is, is you know, turns to survival, right. right? But these guys, they're not in the survival mode, they're in the, we have to keep up mode. And we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, Wharton MBAs and, you know, Harvard, Harvard. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, these guys are really up against it. And then, Mike and Maureen, they get into these pitfalls and they go down sort of this, this road, this slippery slope. And before you know it, the next document they see come in the mail is an indictment. Mm. Now, what do they do now? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's I, a, that, that's power. That's power and control right there. That's that addiction. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. All right. You, you, you hit it on the head. That's right. I think it's really interesting what you're doing. I have a, um, I, I grew up with a, with a, a guy, I went to high school with him, who wound up um, very, very wealthy. I mean, he didn't really, he had a, his family had a small business <clears throat> and he grew that. And then he wound up um, uh, opening a big hotel on Long Island and doing all mm. of this stuff. And um, he was about to be indicted or he was just indicted for something. And um, he must have known that he was going to go to jail. Mm. And he shot himself. Oh, oh wow. So, I mean, I think it's really important what you're doing because I've, you know, most people, I don't know about you, but I can deal with anything when I know what it is, you know, or, or when, when I'm like, but it's that in-between time that yeah. must be incredibly painful and frightening because right. you don't know what that is. You know, you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what you're, what's going to happen with your family. You don't know how anybody's going to handle it. It, that must be the worst part is that in between that is the, that is the worst part and i i actually lived it as you guys know i did mm-hmm. prison time in in the feds um speaking to a guy the other day and maureen you're absolutely right he doesn't know you know he he knows he's indicted he knows he has to plead guilty and he's probably going to go away to sit for six or seven years mm. okay he doesn't know what's happening his here here's the scary part and either does his lawyer you know, his own lawyer, and they're not expected to, you know, lawyers get a beating, but they don't know the prison systems in the different, in the 50 states or the federal system. The judges don't know. And so somebody can kind of help them navigate that process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't care whether you have a dollar or a million dollars, you know, if if we can help you figure this piece out, then we're going to help you figure this piece out. Uh, But there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just you know, here's some self-defense training or, you know, here's how you don't get sexually assaulted. I mean, all that's part of it, but how about getting designated to a prison close to your home? Mm -hmm. Well, the judge doesn't know how to do that. You know, that your lawyer doesn't know how to do that. It has to be in your pre-sentence report. And and then why? But, you know, who sits down with you during your pre-sentence investigation? That critical documents, one document, it's the most critical thing in that person's life right now, because that's all the Bureau of Prisons looks at mm-hmm. to determine your fate for the next six or seven, 10, 20 years. So, yeah. You know, so I, I have my own um, history uh, with, with the prison system, um, you know, state and state and county, no federal. But, uh, you know, when I was 19 years old, I was arrested for uh, multiple felonies, uh, drug related felonies, possession, distribution, so on and so forth. And. 
prior to that, I was selling drugs. I was living the lifestyle of a criminal for the most part. I mean, I was a, a drug addict trying to feed my habit and trying to survive, but I was living that lifestyle, which meant that I was a little bit more informed than most about what jail would be like, about who was in there. You know, a lot of my friends had been in there. Um, I had been in there overnight or for 10 days or 30 days or whatever. So when I got arrested and got my sentence, I went right in. I went to the police station. I went right into jail and I sat in county uh, without bail for a while. And so I was already doing time. I was already acclimating. I was already getting used to being in jail. And so I had the benefit of experience. I got to speak to other inmates who had been to state prison. I got to get comfortable with it. I got advice directly from people who had been there before. And so by the time I went to state prison and got sentenced, yeah, I went in front of the judge. It was scary, but, you know, my chest was puffed out and I was full of pride trying to, you know, uh, feed my ego there. And, you know, I'm just going to take the hit. And uh, I went up there, but, you know, on my ride up there, even with all that information, even with all that experience and everything that everyone had told me and, you know, even names of people to connect with when I get up there, I had all of that, which most people don't. And I had that. And when I was in the van, uh, or the truck actually, and we were driving up to Concord State Prison from the courthouse. I was in the back of that truck and there was four, four or five other people in there. And obviously we talked and you know everyone had sullen looks on their face. And we started talking about the time that people had gotten. And I mean, I was in the back of the truck with a bunch of college football scores uh, for numbers. And you know we're talking 20 to 40 years type of stuff. Yeah. And I was in there with a two to three you know, upstate. So I was a little embarrassed to tell them about my sentence, but I was terrified and I had absolutely no idea. Even with all that information, I still was terrified walking through the front door. And so, you know, I, I think you're talking about these, these C-class people, these C-suite people, I mean, that are probably have none of what I had, uh, who are about to get a sentence, either federal, state, or whatever it might be for some drug related or some power related crime or addiction related crime that, you know, they need what I got, you know, uh, to, right. to prepare themselves. And even then still hard to prepare. Right. And if you look at your, your county jail time, it's not fun, but you developed, um, somewhat of a skill set. Oh yeah. but more, more so when you're, you know, out there running, you know, selling drugs, using drugs, and you're in that game for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. you're dealing with some very difficult things. You're dealing with challenges. You're, dealing with you know physical violence manipulation all these different things but you think you're right you think about that guy you think about that ceo that, that took a company public you know or you take think about that trader most of these guys have never been in trouble in their lives and their greatest adversity was getting a b instead of an a right you know so it, it in, doesn't and, translate <laughs> yeah and so it's, there's so much to it and they're, they're going away. And here's, here's another huge challenge for them. And that's their family. What happens with their family? You know, um, Maureen has said it in the past, you know, when somebody goes to, to, to prison for incarceration, their whole family is, is being incarcerated. You know, my family went through it. Mm -hmm. No advice. No one knew what to say, you know, but bringing in that, that family piece and providing that family with a plan, with an understanding of, of what the future brings, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the way to managing finances. How are we going to make it through, you know, the next eight years, the next five years, whatever yeah. it is. These things are all unanswered questions. If we can provide those answers to them, then they're going to be so much better off. I you mean, know, if there was... Who you're going to talk to. 
Yeah, I mean, right. you're not, I mean, you know, it's not like your other neighbors in, in Westwood have, uh, you, you know, <laughs> right. what happened when your husband went to jail? That's not going to happen. No. This is not, you know, it's, it's very similar to the whole thing with addiction and, um, you know, that we go through. It's one of these things that there's a lot of shame associated with it. Yeah. And, um, and, and why would you know? Why would you know how to deal with that? That's right. <laughs> exactly. well, the parallels, the parallels are amazing, Maureen. Yeah. You know, between the, you know, active use, you know, substance use addiction and what these people are finding themselves in. You're right. Your neighbors, you know, the stigma's there. A lot of the neighbors have just turned their back on them. I mean, you look oh, at yeah. it, this is an extreme example, right? But Bernie Madoff and Ruth Madoff, years going back a few years ago, right? Nobody would speak to his wife Ruth. Nobody. She was shunned. I mean, 60 wow. Minutes did specials on it. And and so on a lesser level, lesser in terms of the billions of dollars that were, you know, uh, stolen or fraudulently used, you know, that's a very real thing. And here's another example. You take the, um, the, the college admissions bribery scandal that's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're going to spend half a million dollars to try to get your child into a college, right? Mm -hmm. USC. You're probably spending another half a million to a million dollars on attorneys, but they're going to walk in a plea. If they go to trial, they go to trial, but they're probably, their lawyers are going to walk in a plea. As soon as you leave that courtroom with the sentence, either they're going to step you back and you're going to go to prison or jail right then and there, mm. or they're going to have you self-report. There has to be preparation time leading up to that. Mm. And it's just something within the criminal justice system that's completely missing right now. There's a few outfits out there doing it. You know, I'm not going to put anyone else down or you know, say anything disparaging, but I started to dig in before, you know, and I've been doing this for years, you know, um, for friends that are attorneys that have friends going away, but or have clients going away. But there's so much fraud just in prison consulting alone. It, wow. It's ridiculous. And, and Michael, you'll understand this. Can you imagine somebody doing eight months in a federal prison camp? you know, all of a sudden they're the expert on anything. There's no fences, <laughs> there's no walls. They yeah. drive trucks, you know, yeah. it's just, but you know, some of these guys, it, they look for these opportunities to make money. Right. I would caution anybody listening to this, going down this road, you know, do your due diligence, dig right. deep because there, you know, there's a lot of snake oil out there. I'll tell you this. I've got, if I total up all the time, it's just under six years um in a variety of different situations whether it's county jail state prison um you know minimum security uh pre-releases all that stuff sure um the majority of that was county jail uh the majority of that was in um you know high security lockdown we didn't really interact with each other you know what i mean and so even with six years roughly i still don't have enough experience to feel confident and sit down and say i could consult and, and get somebody prepared for any any number of prison scenarios um, but you, you mentioned something a little while ago about the family, you know, when, when people go to jail, the family's in jail too. Just a simple example of how having a consultant can help the family and the individual better. Um, I was at Concord state prison and I was, uh, it was my first, um, uh, in-person visit. Everything up to that point had been through glass. And so when my father and my stepmother and my little sister came down, they had no idea what to wear and what not to wear. And actually my stepmother and my <laughs> sister were not allowed to come in because my little sister was wearing a dress and my stepmother didn't have a bra. And, you know, I mean, something as small as that. Uh, and they were denied a visit after a two and a half hour drive down to see 
you know, me in prison for the first time after a year and a half. And I didn't know what to do. And I got mad and I actually flipped out and I risked getting locked into solitary and having a pretty tough experience because I was so upset about that. And just a simple consult could have taken that away. Hey, we're going for a visit. What should we expect? What can we prepare for? You know, how can we make this process more smooth? Um, and so on and so forth. But that's that, great. that happened to me at Framingham. I couldn't, I, I, I was wearing jeans. Who would think that you couldn't wear jeans? Right. You can't wear jeans because the, the inmates wear jeans. And I looked at them and I was like, do you think I'm going to trade places with her? <laughs> that, that's a, that's not, exactly that was, what they think. Yeah. I love her, but I'm not trading places. I love her that much. <laughs> <laughs> but they must have had something like that happen. I mean, there was, but you don't even think to ask. I would never have thought to ask, what should I wear? Right. You, know, you know, that's not, that's not one of the questions. I was one of the things that was on my mind as I was walking in there to visit somebody. Right. So my mom comes to visit and um, I don't know, she was 68, I think, 69, retired school teacher from New York State, wonderful woman, never has done, never did anything wrong in her life, maybe sent back the decaf because it was stale, <laughs> that was like the big deal, so she comes for a visit, you guys, and I, I hate to talk about this, but in her bra, she had a wire, like it was like an underwire or something, underwire, yeah. And so the lieutenant comes and talks to me. I'm sitting in the waiting in the visit room waiting for my mom. And so we're having this conversation. Not first of all, you don't want to have that conversation about your mom, period. No. About any undergarments, right? <laughs> but the fact that she's waiting out in this area, she's com- I know she's completely confused. Um, and there's this long delay. She has to get back in line, get out of line, get back in line. Yeah. And then she comes in for the visit. It was a nice visit. We got talked to a couple of times because my mom kept turning towards me so we could make eye to eye contact, which you're not allowed yeah, to do. Yeah, you got to sit side to side, right? Side yeah. to side, like you're in a, in a, in a car. Yeah. So then afterwards, um, after my mom leaves, right, they, they strip search you when you leave the room. Well, one of the COs was convinced that my mom had somehow passed me drugs mm. and that I had put them you know, in the old inmate suitcase. In a right? special place, yeah. In a special place. And so then the search, <laughs> this is so absurd. The search of me lasted almost two hours. There were flashlights involved. Wow. It was it was the most humiliating process ever. I was stuck in a dry cell. Yeah. Okay. Where which for those of you who don't know is a cell with a toilet or a bucket. And there's no flushing water, and they just wait for you to have to go to the bathroom. Yep. All right. This is not unusual. This is not some novel thing. And and I am trying to explain to him. She's a retired school teacher. She doesn't even know what drugs look like, you know. And so, you know, I I had I, I write about it in a book that I'm writing right now about sort of the the prison experience, and I have to find humor in it. But mm-hmm. the reality is. Prison is a place of abject humiliation, mm. whether you're being told what to do, if you're being, you know, strip searched, um, you know, bad mouth, that could be just at the hands of the prison staff. Right. That is not, you know, we haven't even gotten to living with people, um, other, other uh, inmates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just think that, um, families mike you're right what what can you wear to visit what can't you wear to visit mm-hmm. how um, should you behave how do you act what do you say 
Right. Even simply writing a letter. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to write some places. It doesn't matter. Other times you have to write it on white paper, you know, black pen. It all depends right. on the person. So there's right. so many things that people never even think about. But um, I mean, I'm fascinated with the whole leaving an entire family behind, but still mm-hmm. being there because mm-hmm. you, you haven't died. You know what I mean? And, and you're not sick and you're coming back eventually and time does not stand still for, you know, life goes on. People are, are living their lives without this person that's part of their family. Right. So that whole piece, I think, is um, is really just... Yeah, but when you're in there, it does feel like you're dead. It does feel like you're gone. It's this, I think it, prison is the saddest, most depressing place in the entire world. All you have to do is walk in there and stand in there and, and you can feel it. It's almost, it's, you can feel it. And how you how to get ready to deal with that i'm not you know that's that's a tall order and in a few missteps when you enter prison um and, and certainly county jail a couple of days in county jail or you know mike has a you know vastly ex- more experience but you think about the people that you know get arrested on a white collar crime they're getting released they mm-hmm. might spend a night in debt in jail right. you know but once you get to prison, if you make a few mistakes right off the bat, it can really drive what's going to happen to you going forward. And mm-hmm. it can invite violence. It can invite sanctions, a loss of privileges. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. Your lawyer doesn't know uh, BOP regulations, Bureau of Prison regulations, or state pre- regulations. They don't know those. I had a guy who was doing, I think, three years for marijuana um, distribution, a few hundred pounds or something like that. Well, he initially got misdesignated to a penitentiary, a USP. Mm. And he was, he was sexually assaulted, brutally sexually assaulted. He didn't even belong there. He mm. should have gone right to a medium or a low. But because nobody knows you know, what those regulations entail and what BOP looks at when they sent him, he was mistakenly, you know, through gross negligence, sent to the highest level. Um, That's not, that's not uncommon, unfortunately. Uh, And that's not the only case that I'm aware of. I worked um, tirelessly working with a state prison in Montana to find out why the guy was in the hole, why he was in the shoe, special housing unit. Family couldn't find out, repeated mm-hmm. calls to that place. Well, I had I worked with a colleague from not Montana prisons, but the Federal Bureau of Prisons who has contacts at other prisons. He was able to find out the guy got in a fight. Um, he was assaulted, but he's okay, medically okay. And he's in the he's in the shoe pending investigation, but mm-hmm. he's okay. Everything he can't use the phone, you know, because those privileges are suspended pending the fight investigation. But he should be out soon. Just providing the family with that information, I, I put myself in their shoes, and the relief I could hear the relief on the other end of the right. phone. It just, but if you don't have those connections, then what do you do as a family person? You're just sitting there. What's happening to this guy, you know, or gal? So um, it's not like the prison, the prison doesn't call out and tell you what's going on. That's right. You just disappear. You don't get mail anymore. There's no more phone calls. You're like, what happened? And of course you fear the worst. Yeah, absolutely. And also for that inmate that's sitting in the shoe, he's worried 
about his family not knowing. Right. And that's an awful feeling. I spent 60 days in solitary confinement and, you know, uh, people have gone through way, way worse than me. There's no doubt about it. But 60 days, you know, incommunicado with family and friends. What, what is my partner thinking? What are the kids thinking? You know, this, it's an awful feeling and you're in there by yourself, right? Uh-huh. So if you want, you can talk to the, to the steel, stainless steel toilet and, and it'll listen to your problems, but it's not going to solve. I mean, solitary confinement, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, so, and it makes you nuts. It makes you nuts, that's right. I remember, I remember back in uh, 1996 when I, went, when I went in for that uh, drug charge I was talking about earlier. They, uh, they were just in the process of transitioning from uh, smoking to non-smoking. And awesome. it was, uh, they, get, they let us buy as many cartons of cigarettes as we wanted right before it happened. And then they locked the whole prison down for about three months. Um, everybody was just in their cell. And so that's, they just let everybody just smoke the rest of their cigarettes for the next three months. But they locked the whole, they locked the whole jail down. And so, I mean... Uh, up until that point, I had a lot of contact with family. I called every day. I sent letters and did all the stuff. And then that just stopped. My family had no idea what was happening. And we were all confined. We just got out for showers and lawyer calls. And so right. if, you were be- if you were lucky enough to have a lawyer, you could call your lawyer and tell them to call your family and let them know. And I assume the relief that you were just talking about was amazing when they finally got that call. Um, but that was it. That was all they got. Right. Right. I mean, this, this is like the bigger question is why do why are we treating people like this? Because they may have done something wrong and mm-hmm. I get that, but I taught, in the, I taught in the jail. So, I mean, there were a lot, I met a lot of people that did things wrong and um, knew they did things wrong and they were serving their time, but that doesn't mean that you can treat people like that. That's and right. I mean, there's some serious changes that need to be um, made in the, in the prison system because most people get out eventually. And mm-hmm. they, you really want to treat somebody like that, like, they're a piece of crap for years and years and then expect them to get out and be a productive member of society. It doesn't work like that. That's right. So, That's right. well, you create, you create animals. Yeah. You know, I mean, you take, angry. you take normal people, you know, you were talking about this before when somebody goes in and, and the, the, the many small mistakes that could be made just right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, if I think back to my time in, it's, you know, who you talk to when you come onto the block. Um, you know, how you address the corrections officers, the COs, how you address them in front of other inmates, where you sit during chow, um, you know, how you, how you handle yourself right when you walk in your cell and you handle your roommate or your cellmate. You know, there's, there's a lot of little things that you might not even think about, but right. they, they change you. You know, you, you go into survival mode. You change from, you know, a person who has a skill set that allows you to navigate the real world out here and you can, you can navigate with other administrators and executives and business and, you know, the store clerk and the bank teller and the blah, 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 all these people. None of that is relevant anymore. Now you're in this completely new world full of people who've been living a way of life that you're not familiar with. It's terrifying. It's easy yes. to make mistakes. It's easy to let fear drive you to do something that could get you caught up real bad. That's right. I remember a gentleman that came into prison when I was there and he, uh, I mean, I met him when he first came in and when he first came in, he was just random man. You know what I mean? Random American guy. Uh, And he came in and he had family and he had kids and stuff like that. And somehow after about nine months of being in there, he was a member of a gang of an ethnicity that he had nothing to do with. Um, And he thought that he was part of something and he felt protected and he felt powerful and he slipped up 
and he ended up getting jumped and he got his face uh, slashed with multiple razors. Mm. Uh, they tried to kill him. And so now, you know, this guy who came in and was just trying to survive and protect himself. Now he goes home with permanent scars of what, a couple years in County jail, <laughs> right. you know, like that's, that was, he had to adapt so quickly and learn how to survive and protect himself because it's real in there, especially, yeah. you know, we, we, dismiss county jail as just this thing but to you know for anyone that's listening that doesn't understand county jail is the funnel mm -hmm. so when you're sitting in county jail in an orange jumpsuit you are in with everyone from that person yeah. who has a dui somebody right. who got caught smoking weed uh you know as well as murderers yeah. they start it's an there. unsegregated oh yeah yeah, so yeah. They don't know. County, county jail is awful i mean it's oh, yeah. It's it's a different animal from prison, but it's no it's no by any means easier or less violent. If anything, it's harder and more violent. Well, because uh, it's unknown. You go to state prison, everybody already knows what time they're doing. You know what I mean? Everybody right. feds. Okay, I got forty years. Okay, yeah, right. I got them. You know what I mean? In yeah. county, you're still trying to figure out if you can get home. Every night is a nail biter for you. You're still trying to hold on to your family. It's chaos in there. Or man. you could be in the midst of trial. We I remember in county jail. Yeah guys coming back after they'd call it blowing trial, which meant they'd lost, right? Mm -hmm. And so they'd come back to the cell block in county jail and it was a completely different person. Um, violence would be ramped up and you had to know what you were doing. You had to know how to handle yourself. And I'm not talking about like, you know, Navy SEAL tactics and stuff like that. I'm just talking about basic things that, that you guys are talking about mm -hmm. is, you know, you don't look into el somebody else's cell. You don't want to be a witness to anything. You know, no sex, no gambling, no drugs. Right. These are basic things, you know, but it goes much deeper than that. It, it goes to, um, you know, understanding the regulations and knowing how to stay out of trouble. is absolutely one thing. Maureen's point about, you know, in, in your point coming out, you know, you're coming out, you've been under siege for, for me, it was about six years. Okay. You were under siege, whether you know it or not, you completely, your disposition changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a guy take me under his wing a little bit. Um, and, you know, he was doing like finishing up 27 years. He was a hitman oh. for the mob. Really great guy. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know, you know, I, I knew what I learned in, in, in the county jail. Um, but the transition back into society, you are a different person, you know, mm -hmm you're a piece of the jigsaw puzzle just like the analogy we use in addiction mm -hmm. uh you're being put back into a society and you don't necessarily fit you know plus you're navigating new systems supervised release probation yeah. departments mm -hmm. um it could be drug and alcohol treatment whatever it is you're navigating three or four brand new systems and right. you've just come out of prison you know if with with you know prison consulting solutions you know our goal is to stay with you throughout the entire process. And I'm, not, and I'm not patting ourselves on the back, but no one else is doing that. You know, staying with the family, staying with the inmate, all the way through to release with a plan. You know, a lot of these people that we represent are super accomplished, um, whether it's on paper or off of paper, and you can yep. read between the lines. You know, somebody who's running a big drug organization, they have a skill set that's very good, that's very, mm -hmm. I want to say good, but it's very developed in, you know, it's, it's higher brain thinking. Let's face yep. it, right? They're running an organization, but same thing for the white collar people. Mm -hmm. You know, well, what's your plan going forward? You know, no one's really going to trust you, you right. know, so how do you rebuild that trust? What's That's the plan? Huge. 
Yeah, that's right. huge. What happens afterwards? Yeah, that's. I mean, we talk about that in addiction all the time. Is that okay? Now that you're sober, and now that you're in treatment, now what? What do you right. gonna do? What are you coming back to? You're coming back to a family that doesn't trust you. You're coming back to a society that doesn't trust you. You're coming back to a, a workforce that might not be interested in what you bring to the table, even though you got skills. You know, right. what are you coming back to? And so it's the same. I mean, whenever you're uh, struggling with addiction, you're under siege. You know, yeah. like you are. It's the same survival mindset is that I'm going from, you know, it's almost like being on another planet. You but it's, but you know, the similar thing also is that there's hope. And that look at the two of you have come out and, and done, I, you know, you might have might be doing better than you would have had you hadn't all that happened to you, right? Because you learned how to survive in very difficult situations. And mm -hmm. it's, um, I mean, you know, when you do nothing but help people now. Yeah. So there's the other and, side. And of smoke that. cigars. I also and, smoke cigars. And smoke I was just cigars. about to say, Mike and I are really doing amazing things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, well, I know you both very well. And I right. As if Maureen's not. No, that's right? not yeah. true. Yeah. So, but look at it like this too, Maureen. I mean, you have credentials. Think about the, in, in Mike, you too. People coming out of prison, especially in the white collar world, they're coming out having lost their medical license, their law yeah, license, true, their yeah. trainer's license, mm -hmm. you know, all these licenses, and they're not allowed. I, I'm working with a, um, a trader on Wall Street. He's going to lo lose his credential in New York State to trade on Wall Street. Okay, yeah. so now what do we do? Right. right. How do we build that? Is there a way to get it back? What's the process to get it back? Well, here it is. And we present it, and we're like, okay, this is the paperwork we need to file an appeal do we need need to request a hearing okay let's assume you don't get that credential back now you have to shift into a different career path mm. let's what's the plan for that right. i mean we have people on the team that specialize just in that you know rebuilding um coaching and i know the term coaching has gotten a little wacky but you know although it shouldn't and the fact is where do we go from here? Let's problem solve and let's achieve because you're right, Maureen, there's tons of hope, but yeah. you're dealing with folks coming out and their families that have lost all hope. Right. Um, but there is hope and let's build and you need help building. Let's build it. So Andrew, let, let me ask you a question. So, so this, this thing that you're talking about, this prison consulting solution. So this is something where uh, you have created a company uh, that will work with people who are facing sentencing um and then you and your team will help the individual and the family walk through that sentencing process prepare them for it as well as help them transition after the fact and help them rebuild does that sound about right absolutely help okay. them rebuild and you know we have entrepreneurs and business folks you mm -hmm. know and clinicians and then we have put together the i think a dream team Mm -hmm. um, and we're doing this, but also that 24 seven contact, right. as you know, as an inmate, an inmate can call me, they can call anybody on the team, direct right. dial yeah. and say, I'm struggling with this and the family that's 24 seven while that's you're huge. in prison. Yeah. Well, that's because look, that's when people need the bulk of the help yeah. in their minds. Now I think the run up to that point is critical and mm. the after plan is absolutely mm. critical but if you can pick up the phone listen i take i take calls 24 7 anyways maureen takes calls 28 8 you know i mean this is not same you know this is like yeah. why not help the folks that are 
you know, right-minded, help them get right-minded and stay with them throughout the process. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're putting people into treatment daily. Yeah. You know, and, and it, you know, that is coaching though. I mean, that everything that you're talking yeah. about this, yeah. you, know, you look at a coach, you, 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 let's just take coaching in the sense of sports. You know, you got a coach, you get a group of people have no idea what they're doing. They don't understand what, what the next few years of their life are going to look like and the stuff they're going to have to deal with. And that's the, the goal of a coach. A coach brings together a team of coordinators, you know, defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, you know, special teams. And they're supposed to educate those people and get them to work together. That, that's a coach, you know, and that's, that's, that's what's happening here. And, and that word, coaching, um, there's a whole bunch of that. Sober coaching, recovery coaching, life coaching, um, uh, business life coaching. Uh, th- there's a ton of it. And it does get a little muddy around addiction, you know, the recovery coaching, sober coaching, every state has their own thing. CCAR out here is the adopted one in Massachusetts, um, which is the Connecticut uh, Center for Addiction Recovery, I believe. And, you know, that's the recovery coaching side of things and sober coaching and family coaching. But yours seems to embody all of that. I mean, those people who are going to prison, um, more likely than not, and I'm just, I'm assuming here, um, you know, kind of like yourself, that they're they're running with the law or their interaction with the prison system. The, the catalyst for that was probably some sort of drug related incident, driving them to step outside of their comfort zone and try something like robbing a bank, you know, something that they wouldn't normally do, putting themselves in this awkward scenario to, uh, you know, pretend that they are something that they're not for a minute and go out and try something (laughs) risky. I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to seeing this episode that you shared with the preview and we're going to watch it together um, because I know you for a while now, and I cannot in a million years, in a, in a, in a billion years, ever yeah. imagine you robbing a bank. Right. I mean, Just, I can. I can, because I, yeah. I don't know you, but I can. I can, I can see it. Maureen knows me pretty well. I, yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, it's like I can't picture you going in there and doing that and then not cracking up laughing and say, yeah. nah, never mind. <laughs> I was just kidding. Come on. What am I really thinking? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. yeah. Well, can we watch that? Do you mind? So, yeah, so let's check take it out. I, I'll just, I'll, you know, premise it with this is that um, we both, we all know here that addiction and depression co-occurring mental health issues can take us to our darkest places mm-hmm. and um that's where i was you know yes some time ago um it, it's good for me to bring levity to it uh but the horrors of living through it as we all know i just it's about yeah. as about as dark as it can get so yeah. And so this clip, uh, just just for our listeners, this is uh, this is for an upcoming series on Vice. And if I'm not mistaken, it's How to Rob a Bank. Is that the name of the series? Is the- yeah, I think it, it's it was already released um, in Europe, um, okay. and then it's coming to the U.S. And so I, I think they title things sometimes different overseas. Okay, but that's my understanding. Is that's that's what it's going to be called? Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's take a look at the clip. One day I was heading to family court. Uh, I was so despondent, you know, over my financial situation and my addiction. I had used heroin a few days prior. So I knew I was going to have drug test and I was probably going to fail it. And I know that family court judge is going to say, I can't see my kids. And I'm starting to feel that tension. That, you know, the pressure in my chest. 
And as I'm driving, something forces me to step on the gas and drive past exit where the family court was. And I drove up to Lake George. And first bank I came to, I robbed it. So I walk in the bank. I walk over to the little kiosk table. My legs were propelled by something greater than myself at that point. And I take out a deposit slip. There was this quiet, calm. It was almost a high in the sense of my shoulders relaxed, you know, my chest relaxed, my stomach, my legs, my arms, everything. Even though I'm robbing a bank, which is insane. In the back, I read the note. No alarms. This is a robbery, hundreds, fifties, twenties. It was just bullet points. And I handed that note to the teller and this terrified young girl, she looked at me like I was an insane person. And I kind of gave her the, the eyes like, look, I'm really not crazy. Took my money, a few thousand bucks. And there was this feeling of exhilaration. And then I jumped on the highway to go and get drugs. My drug dealer had gone out of business, arrested. So I had to go out to my old haunts, you know? And I'm thinking, oh my God, I gotta get some, some heroin because I'm about to get sick. And I pull up to the side of the road and I see this Hispanic gentleman who comes by and I look at him and he looks at me. And I say Tega, which was slang for heroin. And gets in the car, I told him I wanted a bundle, which is 10 bags of heroin. And I pulled my money on my wallet. Next thing I felt was the full barrel of a gun on my head, my temple right here. And my whole life kind of passed before my eyes. And the next thing I know, I hear the gun click. All right. Well, that was, I mean, that's an amazing clip. That was really interesting. I, I think that uh, Vice did a great job with the uh, reenactment <laughs> yeah. uh, of, of having you rob the bank. Yep. And, and, you know, I, I said before that I can't imagine that happening, but I say that. And if you read my book, it opens up with me um, cruising around a parking lot <clears throat> with a baseball bat looking for somebody who had, um, who had really, um, you know, done terrible things to my daughter and kept us from being able to help her. Mm. He hid her and he picked her up from treatment centers all over the country, yep. um, all over the Eastern seaboard. So I was, and I remember that moment 
when you, you, you know how you talk about in the very, in that, in that clip about it being surreal. Mm -hmm. But I remember that moment when something just clicked and I felt it was a very floaty feeling. And I thought to myself, this is the answer. The answer Mm -hmm. is to kill this guy with a baseball bat. And, and then things will change and they would have. God knows they would have changed, but I'm, I might have been one of your clients. That might have been how it changed. But um, I remember that feeling like this is the answer. I need to do this. And um, with no thought about what would happen if I got caught or what would happen if I really did this or, but it was, so I say that I can't imagine, but that's what happens when yeah. you're pushed to the point you know, between mine was stress and depression and fear. But, you know, but I, when you're pushed to that point, sometimes the best of people, and I really think I'm a very good person who could have so easily done that. I, I'm sure I would have done it had I had right. the opportunity. So yeah. this is, this is, you know, very often that's who we're dealing with and in, 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 bring them into a prison and without knowing what to do without their families knowing what to do. No. So I think that this is a, um, really a fantastic service that you're, that you're uh, offering. So I got to ask you, um, did you really think you weren't going to get robbed running around with all that money? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you at that point, I had a pretty good understanding of um, well, I thought I did. Mm. I mean, I, you know, scored, uh, it's funny how we use the word score with drugs, but, you know, I scored, uh, opioids, um, heroin a number of times. And, you know, even though I wasn't like the street hardened guy or anything like that, um, my judgment typically was pretty good. Yeah. But that is complete evidence of what chaos it is like an idiot. I pulled out all the money. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so again, not really thinking. Yeah. Here's this complete stranger next to me and I pull out a wad, you know. Well, you had a gun to your head. I mean, there's only so many options you have at that moment and you're not thinking clearly. Right. But what was crazy, and I'm not sure if it's picked up on the clip, well, the whole thing's crazy, but um, as he's pulling out uh, the heroin, I'm pulling out the money simultaneously. Yeah. And so instead of pulling out like, you know, a hundred dollars, I pulled out like that, you yeah, know, the brick, like the brick of cash. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I would have robbed me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie. I probably would have robbed you too. Yeah. I probably I mean, ro- yeah they, they didn't make that very evident in that clip, but that, I mean, that was a great clip. And I think the, um, like I said, the reenactment, you know, who, whoever did that, I think it was, uh, you know, it, it, they definitely embodied kind of the, the fear and the anxiety that goes into that. I mean, you, you are, I can't count how many times I walked into a crime, you know, to support my habit that was fueled by desperation and fear, fear of being yeah. sick, fear of, you know, being without and the desperation of, I got to get this done, whether I do it right or not. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people will watch from the sidelines and be like, Oh, well you should have done this. or you should have done that. Well, yeah. get it. You watch investigation discovery sometimes. And that's cool that you have an opinion, but you've never been there. You've never right. been in that situation where at the moment it's, I didn't rob the bank because I'm a bank robber. I robbed the bank because I needed money. I was desperate. I couldn't come up with another way out of the situation I was in um, and whatever it might be. But I'm, I'm really interested to watch that series yeah. um, and see some of the other stuff that they have going on. And you get to talk about um, your addiction in that episode. Do you get to get deeper into your channel? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely pretty deep. And, um, you know, I think it, it'll be good in the sense that, you know, once it's out, it'll illustrate, you know, what, how addiction really does equal madness, yeah. whether you're home and, you know, you're retired and you got the bottle next to your chair and you're watching, you know, mm -hmm. CNN and drinking all night, that's madness. Right. Clearly walking into a bank is madness. And I will say this, you know, prison is a punishment. And by all means, it was a punishment. It was the most violent place I've ever been, yeah. you know, and, you know, I served in two branches of the military. Um, you know, oh. I've done some other things and by far the most violent thing I've ever witnessed in my life and been part of. Yeah. But I'll tell you, the punishment largely, well, no, self-imposed is the fact that I can't get the teller's eyes out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, on a lesser level, I mean, I have robbed people individually and they haunt me. Yeah. You know, and it was never, it was never out of malice. I didn't want to hurt those people. I didn't even know those people, but I mean, they were petty crimes if you think about them, but they haunt me because yeah. I'm actually a good person <laughs> that was driven to a desperate place to do desperate things. Right. And I found people that, you know, I thought I would be able to get over on. Imagine if the whole prison, prison system was based on that. Mm. It's, it's a whole entire building full of desperate people that do desperate things. Right. But it, it is. <laughs> it's a box of animals. Yeah, but know? I mean, it doesn't Not even to... animals, but people who they, they have to behave like them. They have to yeah. Like them. yeah. Right. No, you're right. I, Maureen, that's, that's interesting. And I think the, the people in prison, um, the majority are victims of poverty. I wasn't a victim of anything except for the compulsion stage of my addiction. I deserved every month that I got in prison mm -hmm. and I deserved to, to wake up and still see the teller that one teller in particular, her face in my mind, it'll never leave me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not complaining about it. I'm not saying I wish this would go away. Woe is me. No, you know, I, yeah, I was in the throes of, of a demonic addiction, no doubt about it, but still I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible. No, I didn't have, nobody was pulling my puppet strings except for my opioid addiction. Yeah, right. I guess because of, because of Magnolia and we work a lot with the drug court, a lot with the, with the prison system, um, with uh, scholarships after, you know, when, that, when people are getting out for sober living, I see a, a lot of really lovely hurt people that yeah. really want that that never wanted to be there that never wanted the life that they have that are trying you know want desperately to to turn things around but not only does all that go on for you know however many years you're you're away but then you come out and no one wants to give you a job right. no one wants to give you a place to live you don't have any money and nine times out of ten your family's turning their back on you that's right yeah. And so, you, you do I mean, amazing work. I mean, you do amazing work and you see you're in the trenches day in and day out, Maureen. And, you know, well, and I, so I know, I know the, the audience that you're, you know what I mean? I know the people, yeah. that, these are not all bad people. These are people, children and husbands and sisters and brothers that made mistakes. Mm -hmm. And it, we have to start looking at people like that rather than, you know, somebody we want to lock away and not think about. So, you know, that, because they are coming out. <laughs> That's what I tell people. They're coming out anyhow. Yeah. So you, 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 let's do something to help people assimilate back into the, the community and, and help them have a, 
you leave somebody out of the, you let somebody out of jail and they don't have any money they don't have any way to support themselves and they don't have a roof over their head they're going to rob you right well, they're going to fall back on the only skill set that they know to survive right. that's right and if we continue to marginalize these folks then they're going to be you know marginalized continually mm-hmm. and- this circles back to the very first statement that you made about stigma right i mean right. if you if we see these people as bad people because they're doing what they're doing then we're just going to stick with that. We're just going to push them aside and marginalize them. Like you just said, they're, they're over here. They're this, don't worry about them. Let's just keep them locked up and keep them away. Right. They're not, they're not all like that. I mean, there are, yeah. they're not all like that. And I don't know what the statistic is. I'd be making it up if I tried, but you know, the, there, there is a large majority of people who are in jail for substance abuse related issues. Not again, not that they're victims. Um, you know, they are victims of their addiction, but and, and I'm sure they deserve punishment, but they also deserve rehabilitation. You know, the Department of Corrections is the wrong name for that industry uh, because it does lack a lot of the correction that's supposed to be in there, uh, right. you know, helping people with the reason they're there in the first place. And so yeah. thankfully, there are people like yourself and the prison consulting solutions that are there for those individuals and those families to help walk them through it and maybe take them to uh, the other side of what doesn't have to be a career uh, of criminal activity, you know, that can help them reintegrate back into life and hopefully rebuild. I mean, okay, you lost your law license. Okay. You lost your ability to trade. You no longer have a license as a doctor. Can it come back? Maybe, you know, can you get it back? Maybe, uh, if not, can you switch careers? Maybe is that skill set applicable someplace else? Maybe, but if there's not somebody there to help walk you through it, you do end up depressed. You do end up frustrated, feeling hopeless. And eventually, you know, that effort button is pretty big and you just push it again. You know, and, and I think that's, I'm, I'm grateful that there are people like you. I wish that my family had, uh, you know, somebody from Prison Consulting Solutions to walk them through the process, but they did not, neither did I, so the best that we could. Absolutely. And, uh, so I'm very grateful for you and for what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, Maureen talked about hope and there's tons of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, shake off the doldrums, shake off the depression shake off the fear and ask mm-hmm. for help. Yep. It's the same as, it's the same as addiction. Absolutely. It'll reduce the stigma and reduce recidivism. Yep. So, well, well thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. I appreciate My it. Now, do, you, do you know by any chance the date that uh, vice is going to be airing these episodes? Do you know when it starts? I don't. Um, I need to start beating down their doors, but okay. uh, I think I, I talked to the people who filmed it were from the UK. Okay. Um, and so I have calls out to them to try to, to try to pin it down a bit, but okay. you know, even that little clip, um, the three minute clip, you know, we're close to 700,000 views Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm hoping it'll generate more of the conversation mm-hmm. of where number one, where addiction takes you and two, yeah. how do you deal? How do you deal moving forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you'll have on you, your website, we're, which we're going to put on your, um, in the on show the page. notes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, um, you'll, you'll be posting it on your website when it's yeah. out too. And I yeah. took it down for some, some construction and to add some things. And my people are going to be putting it up here probably in the next 48, 72 hours. So once, once we have that, we'll, we'll make sure our listeners can get access to that and that our viewers can as well. So we'll, uh, we'll put a, a link for the clip for those that want to watch it again. And, um, <laughs> As and then I, when it's up, we'll put a link to, we'll attach a link to it too. Exactly. Just link everywhere. Well, links, links, link, link. It's all about links, link. to, links to links to links. All right. That's right. 
right. Listen, again, thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate you coming back and talking to us. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're going in the direction you're going. And it's a very needed service. And I hope that if any of our listeners are struggling or if they know someone that's struggling, that they will try to reach out and get that support. All right. Very good. Good to be with you, folks. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Bye.